Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the FT Advisor podcast. I'm Damien Fantato, digital editor of FT Advisor. We've now marked more than 100 days of the Joe Biden presidency, and while he's been a lot quieter on Twitter than his predecessor was during his first 100 days, that's not for a lack of activity. He's signed a 1.9 trillion stimulus package, put together a 2 trillion package of infrastructure spending, and unveiled a 1.8 trillion package of reforms on issues such as health care and labor laws. That's quite a lot of trillions. By common consensus, Joe Biden is governing much more radically than he campaigned. So what does this mean for investors? Given the importance of the US economy, what lessons can we take from the Joe Biden presidency so far for global markets and investors? With me to discuss this are Ed Smith, Head of Asset Allocation Research at Rathbones, and Ilan Chaitovic, Manager of the Nomura Global High Conviction Fund. Hello both. Hello. So as I mentioned in in the intro, um, it appears that Biden is governing as a much more radical president than he suggested he would be during his campaign. But markets uh, haven't seemed to mind much. Ed, what does this tell us about what investors uh, can stomach from a a US president? Well, the first thing it tells me, actually, is that monetary policy is far more important than what happens on Capitol Hill. I think as long as monetary conditions are easy, stock market investors should continue to, to make hay, really. Uh, I think politics matters a lot less than the extent to which some commentators uh, make uh, make it out to matter. Uh, You know, looking at over 50 years of data, covering a variety of asset markets, presidential elections generate a lot of noise, but rarely any signal, popular ideas that Democratic presidents are worse for investment returns than Republican ones. They don't stand up to the scrutiny of the data. And even sectoral ramifications are often hard to identify. The two worst performing sectors during the Obama years were financials and energy. The two worst during the Trump years were financials and energy. So uh, I, I think to, turning to where we are at the moment, I mean, historically, a president, uh, a president committing to very loose fiscal policy m- might have caused markets to expect tighter monetary policy. But the US Federal Reserve, it's undergone quite a change over the last year. It's committing to holding interest rates near zero until probably early 2023, in our opinion, even if inflation rises above 2%, which it will considerably this year before fading back. And so back in November, when we were t- you know, talking to all of those investors, including some of our clients that were predicting uh, markets would tank under a democratic clean sweep, we suggested to them maybe it's just as simple as this. Given the monetary policy backdrop and um, given the structural forces keeping inflation back, perhaps the best outcome is simply the one with the most stimulatory fiscal uh, policy. There's definitely lots of interesting stuff that I'm sure we'll get into uh, and Elon will get get into more from a bottom-up perspective uh, about what Biden's policies mean for performance within markets. But in terms of the broad market, we think uh, politics is perhaps somewhat overrated. Elon, what do you think? Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, I think I think Ed's, you know, Ed's, Ed's pretty much nailed it. I, I think there are just two points that I'd highlight with what he said, where I'd add a bit more um, granularity. Firstly, I think the markets ultimately reacted 
very positively to to the blue clean sweep and and uh, President Biden's electoral win only because it was actually a very close vote. And I think that if it were a much harder left-leaning government, an empowered government that came in last year, I think markets would have had a very different reaction uh, in in concern for uh, anti-capitalist or, or shall we say, very pro-socialist agenda, which which was taken off the table when when um, ex-president Trump, I think, actually did much better than people had anticipated. So I think the positive reaction from the market is a function of the belief that a much more uh, divided House and Senate would not be empowered to derail uh, the the status quo, but by and large. So I think that's maybe where where the if, if anything you know very strong relief rally has come through. And I'd also highlight that that um, President Biden's ex- expansionist program uh, isn't typical of the uh, Democrat Party. So in America, things work the other way around to the way we used to. In the UK, where in the UK, just as a a generalization, a broad brush generalization, uh, the Conservative Party is typically more austere uh, on the fiscal side of things. And the Labour Party is more uh, looser, is more more generous on the welfare side of things. And that is actually the reverse in in America, where historically the Republicans have actually been quite profligate spenders and the Democrats have uh, been the other way as a broad brush rule of thumb. And so this is a real deviation from that by President Biden and his team. But I think that needs to be looked at both in the context of what he was heading into, which was a global pandemic, the likes of which we've not seen before, and also some of the backtracking from President, ex-President Trump's policies that he, he had to do as part of his manifesto. For, for instance, a lot of the for instance, a lot of the environmental policies that he is implementing and talking of implementing, those are very much uh, against the grain of what his predecessor was was talking about. Mm-hmm. On that point that you mentioned about the size of the majority in Congress, Elon, um, so the, the, it, it seems to you seem to be suggesting that the issue is, if issue is the right word, is that he has spent a lot of money, but he's not, you know acting in a particularly radically left-wing way. Is that a correct way of assessing it? That's exactly what I mean. So I think I think what we have seen is is a is a president who and in America, you know, he's this is my interpretation from across the pond, but 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 my interpretation is certainly amongst um, half the country that voted for him, he's he's seen as as a safe pair of hands. He's seen as a, um, a, a fair player, and and I think where he's been um, you know, really opened the the taps in terms of spending, it's been very much directed at trying to rejuvenate, kickstart the the U.S. economy into recovery, you know, following following the pandemic. But let's not forget some of the very vocal uh, voices at the time of his election, and um, you know, Democrat. Bernie Sanders, who has uh, what we might think in Europe are very progressive ideas, uh, particularly with regard to uh, social health care. Um, in America, he was seen as, as as hard left. 
And there were a few in that camp which, which had actually scared, I think, some people within the Democrat Party, within the Democratic Party. So, so the fact that essentially the left of the Democratic Party weren't given a mandate with the presidential election meant that Biden's policies were then going to be much more centrist. And I think that was a cause for relief across both sides of the aisle. Sure. And, and Ed, Ilan um, mentioned uh, the difference between what's happened in the US and the difference and what's happened in the UK. The British government has been telling us uh, that uh, the debts that we've racked up over the past uh, over the past year or so are going to have to come due. And uh, that means that we're going to be um, getting more austerity potentially, um, which is a very different approach. What lessons can be taken from those two approaches? What do you think the impact of those two approaches is going to be? Well, I think if the US wasn't around, we would think that the amount of direct spending done by the UK or some of our peers in Europe was actually more ambitious than we would ever have conceived was possible, right? It's just that because there is the US and they've done more, there's a temptation to think that the, the rest of the world has been uh, a bit stingy. But that's not the case. Yeah, we've had completely you know, game-changing amounts of, of stimulus beyond uh, what we ever thought was really possible. Um, I think the big difference, as you say, uh, uh, Damien, is, is the attitude, uh, particularly in the UK, that policy needs to be reversed as soon as, as possible. And yeah, indeed, the, the March budget showed, um, showed that the government plans to withdraw some support precisely at the moment when the unemployment rate is predicted by the Office for Budgetary Responsibility, from which the government takes its forecast, to be at its highest. And, and that's a little perverse. Uh, and what we like about the, the US at the moment is that they are continuing to capitalise on this low interest rate environment and invest for the future in areas that should pay for itself, such as infrastructure. And I think yeah, they've clearly learned the great lesson of the last decade, which I think most countries have learned, but perhaps not the UK, is that trying to repay the debt prematurely uh, by running austerity policies could be counterproductive because it could leave the debt to GDP ratio higher than what it would otherwise have been because you've actually choked off uh, growth. So I think yeah, it was continuing to spend and run deficits is not without risks because we don't know for certain that rates are going to stay low. Uh, and there's, of course, the inflation bogeyman as well. Yeah, whilst we don't know for certain that's the case, yeah, our base case is that actually you know, things will stay benign and, and the economies and perhaps the capital markets associated with those economies that capitalise on this flow rates are likely to continue to do well. Mm-hmm. Elon, uh, does this approach that the US is taking ultimately show us that uh, debt just doesn't really matter? Are we, are, we all, are we all Keynesians now? Oh, if only that were true. If only that were true, Damien. Um, I think we need to be very careful about extrapolating what the US Treasury does with its balance sheets and indeed its interest rates and currency compared to what the rest of the world um, uh, can do. And and that's because there's one big difference is the US remains the reserve, the US dollar remains the reserve currency of the world. So um, that is a very important differential. And it means that 
the U.S. Federal Reserve and the U.S. government have got, I think, far more leverage uh, to to issue debts and to um, uh, set set their own course, whereas other countries do not have that luxury. If you want to take the extreme end of the spectrum, you could look at much smaller emerging markets countries, which, if they had a similar sort of crisis as as the U.S. has just gone through, they themselves, you know, would have had they would have had widespread defaults and currency devaluations. So, so I'd, I think the U.S. is in a uh, is in a unique position that that we need to be careful in terms of reading across to other countries. Mm-hmm. So, what impact do you uh, think that the um, the stimulus is likely to have uh, globally? Do you mean America in particular, or you mean the global coordination of central banks and governments? Well, what um, effect is it likely to have in the US, and is that effect likely to ripple around uh, the globe in any way? I see. Uh, well, the so so what has been very a very powerful force over the last twelve months has been not just the monetary easing that we've seen on a coordinated basis across central banks around the world, but also the uh, fiscal programs in place to um, really stimulate economies everywhere. And you're really talking about stimulating demand. Uh, and and I don't think we have yet seen the, the impact of that fully in the real world. And uh, just one one metric that I that I like to look at is is consumer confidence, and consumer confidence is considered to be maybe a congruent or or, or even lagging indicator of, of the economy. But essentially, you're asking people in real time how they feel, and that still isn't where we were pre-pandemic. So if we look at where markets are, those have nearly nearly recovered. Some are you know way above where they were before the pandemic, and that is a those are leading indicators. So there's a disconnect between where consumers are in their mindset and in their in their world, where, where the world is today, and what markets are anticipating is going to be the case in six to 12 months' time. So the financial markets are giving the central banks the benefit of the doubt. The early effects of that are starting to, to come through in the economy. But I don't think consumers have really felt the benefit of that because many of them are still working from home Many of them have not had pay rises. Many of them may be out of work. So that is yet to come, uh, but it will come. It's just a question of, I think, how quickly and how strongly. Mm. And then what about you? What do you think the um, U.S. stimulus uh, is likely to do to U.S. markets and maybe uh, global markets? Well, um, I think if we go back to the question of spillovers and that ripple uh, effect and think about the impact the US could have globally, yeah, there there clearly are spillovers to the US stimulation of demand via trade. And we think for the the next leg of the recovery, we're likely to see trading relationships that are more centred around uh, investment goods and capital goods um, to 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 lead the way, the trade trading relationships around consumer goods, yeah, whilst that still have further to run, perhaps in terms of uh, certainly uh, a lot of the uh, 
that sort of cheaper consumer goods that tend to come from Asia and emerging markets. Actually, the uh, the trade impact there may have peaked already because as uh, the consumer does get more confident going forward and starts to spend again, there will be a substitution. A lot of the uh, spending, the outside spending we've made on goods over the last year um, uh, for services uh, again. Uh, and so actually, uh, Asia and emerging markets, which would tend to do very well out of a stimulation of U.S. demand via trade, may not do so well because actually yeah, they, they already got a, an artificial boost to their trading relationship last year, as most of us were hunkered down in our houses and only able to buy goods and not uh, services. And so then you've got the negative spillovers, but potentially uh, from U.S. stimulus, potentially via a stronger dollar potentially via higher uh, US uh, bond yields. Um, and those are particularly a problem uh, in emerging markets who are much more subservient to dollar uh, funding costs. So, uh, so that's one of the reasons why, although we are um, heavily overweight equities as a house at the moment, we aren't overweight Asia and emerging markets uh, because the risks that could come from the US reflation trade could be felt more acutely over there. So actually, we think that perhaps the the spillovers may be strongest in Europe, which is also a very cyclical uh, market, which is where we want to be right now. Um, And actually, that goes back to one of the pieces of advice we gave back in November when Biden was first elected, uh, that actually perhaps the biggest benefit to a Biden presidency could be uh, European companies geared into uh, global trade. Because a lot of the policy uncertainty that was generated uh, through Trump was far worse for, for, for global companies than it was for U.S companies. But under Biden, perhaps more of the policy headaches, particularly in terms of corporation tax, um, are are felt more acutely in the US than they are uh, elsewhere. Uh, And whilst we think that Biden is very similar to Trump on his anti-China trade and foreign policy stance, he's more likely to build a coalition of the willing against China. And that, again, means that the US-European relationship gets uh, a boost. And actually, I'm told by an insider that actually the the ambassador to Europe uh, is likely to be one of Biden's uh, closest friends uh, in the world. Interesting. Uh, Elon, so do you think the stimulus uh, even matters if con- if trade uh, continues to be tense between the US and China, for example? Well, I think I think that the Americans and the Chinese have got far more to lose by hostile relationships with each other than they do by collaborating, and I think there are some very sticky. Um, and difficult, you know, challenges, particularly relating to um, to you know to IP and security and, and human rights. Uh, but I think that ultimately, you know, those in time those can be worked through. And, and I think again, you know, both countries are there to look after. You know, the, both governments, both governments are there to look after their populations. And what's best for those populations is is China and, and America working in collaboration. So uh, maybe it's maybe it's 
a naive part of me. Maybe it's I'm optimistic, but I, but I I like to think that good sense will win out in the end. Ed, what do you think? Well, I think it was certainly encouraging that uh, at the latest uh, conference on climate change, we did see uh, a much more, um, you know, you know, China took part and we've seen much more amicable rhetoric you know, going back and forth between US and China on climate change. So perhaps that is um, a reason for uh, optimism. I think certainly a uh, escalation in US-China tensions is a, is a lose-lose uh, situation for the vast majority of, of, of people under both governments' uh, ward. Yeah, but, but unfortunately, we're living in a, in a world where sort of nationalistic sentiment is on, is on the ascendancy. And the problem with the last few decades is that politicians haven't taken the time to explain the very complex mechanisms through which globalization makes everyday people better off. Uh, and, um, and until that happens, um, yeah, I think there it remains a risk that uh, a sort of uh, disintegration of, re- of relations could unnerve uh, uh, investment markets that rely on, on trade. Now, we're not in the deglobalization camp. We don't think that is, is likely, but we do think there could be uh, these tensions could flare up that could cause volatility uh, from time to time. Sure. Okay, and uh, finally, I suppose to wrap things up, uh, I'm going to ask you both, uh, starting with Ed, Ed do you, has, uh, is President Biden making your uh, life easier than, than President Trump? Are you more optimistic perhaps under President Biden than you were under President Trump? Uh, well, it's definitely making our life easier because uh, he, he can have a pretty good idea of what he's going to do. Um, so, yeah, whereas Trump like, liked to play the maverick card, liked to govern via Twitter, um, you know, yeah, Biden, uh, you know, he's basically following the playbook that he set out in his campaign. And it's all done sort of by, by the book, you know, uh, and that makes our lives easier. Um, uh, yeah, I, yeah I, I'm pleased uh, to see uh, a president wanting to uh, increase public investment. Um, because I think the uh, one of the problems of the last few decades is that private investment has been deficient in certain areas, and we need more public investment capitalizing on low interest rates to help fill the void, and particularly direct money towards infrastructure, to, towards research and, and development. And I'm optimistic that that will um, have long-term benefits. It comes with some risks that markets have to guard against in the short term, the potential for higher inflation, the potential for higher rates. And what about you, Elon? Well, in, in my game, which is, which is much more uh, fundamental and, and, and bottom-up, uh, we, we like volatility. We like um, uncertainty. We like uh, confusion, if you like, in the market, because that's generates different views and uh, differences in in prices. So ex-President Trump's tenure was was uh, an exciting one for us as bottom-up stock pickers because uh, President Trump himself generated quite a lot of share price volatility just with a few words on Twitter. It got to a point where I actually had a Twitter feed on my desk, which I'd never thought I'd 
have to do in my professional life, but um, uh, that is what it was. Um, so there was, you know, definitely an impact there. I think I think there was less visibility and clarity than we were used to from American presidents, and that also increased the volatility, which can be unnerving for investors. But from our perspective, that really opened up some some really interesting and lucrative opportunities where there was a debate in the market where we had a strong differentiated view. I think uh, President Joe Biden is is very much cut from a from a different cloth. He seems to be much more of the traditional statesman that the world is is used to and, and I think really expects from its uh, leaders. And um, as Ed has said, you know, he's 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 had a manifesto and he is executing on it. Uh, so I think um, there's much more visibility with what President Joe Biden plans to do, but obviously he was handed uh, a much more uncertain um, environment than uh, than President Trump had. Interesting. Lots of uh, thought there going forward uh, in, over the next uh, year or so. Uh, thank you to Ed and thank you to uh, Elon and uh, thank you to you for listening and tune in again next week for the next edition of the FT Advisor podcast. Thank you. Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers stay clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save big money at Menards. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com.